All right, I'm going to read to you a list. I want you to pay attention to the names. Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, Ron DeSantis, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, Charles Schumer, AOC, Barack Obama, Elon Musk, Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, Matt Walsh, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Chris Wallace, Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, Bill Maher, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Trevor Noah, Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle, Mr. Beast, Selena Gomez, Taylor Swift, Kylie Jenner, The Kardashians, The Rock, Tom Brady, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Stephen A. Smith, Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, Joyce Myers, Al Mohler, John Piper, Mark Dever, Matt Chandler, J.D. Greer, Paul Tripp, Tim Keller, Tara Lee Cobble, Dan Graham, Mike Hain, Daryl Myers, Tom Slater, your boss, your spouse, your kids, your friends. The list could go on and on, and I'm sure that some of you are like, who are those people? But I'm sure that you recognized at least some of them. And I read you that list because here's the question I have for you. In fact, multiple questions. Whose voice are you listening to? Who are you following? Who is your influencer right now? Which voice is influencing your life decisions the most? Who do you spend the most time with? Who has your attention, your infatuation, and maybe even your affection? Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10? Last week we left off with Jesus telling the former blind man that Jesus had come into the world to make the blind see, but also to make those who see blind. They were to surrender, to show humility. That's why he came to do it his way. And so he's talking to an audience of the Pharisees and, and the Jews, and we get to listen in. So right off the bat, let me give you some big ideas. You'll notice in your notes there, you can call this a two-point sermon or a 14-point sermon. I don't care what. There's a lot in your notes, but I'll, I'll walk through fairly quickly this with you. But here's the big idea, one big idea. Jesus is the good shepherd. You've heard that before. That's a, a common church lingo. I don't think we have any shepherds in the church. I always give my friend John a hard time. Uh, his name is John Shepherd, and his wife is um, Chris McKee, but her name is Chris Noel, now Shepherd. So how about a Christmas name for Chris Noel Shepherd? But uh, we don't have any shepherds here. So we, do we really understand what shepherding a flock is all about? We're going to talk about that today. But not only is Jesus a good shepherd, he's the good son. In fact, I would argue that there's a connection between these two. In fact, if you want to write in your notes, a big word because Jesus is the good shepherd because he is the good son. But what does that all mean? So let's read from the text. Let's make a few observations, do a little interpretation. 
and then do some application. We start in verse one. Jesus says, truly, truly, that's just his way of saying, pay attention, I have something to tell you. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Again, I, I can't say I've ever, the only time I see a sheep is at a petting zoo or something like that. So I've never seen a sheepfold. Maybe you have. I don't know if we've got sheep around here where we need a sheepfold. It's just a fence. But, but a sheepfold in that environment, that culture, would have just been a big stone pen with a door there. And you notice in this particular picture, there's a wooden door there. But often it was just an, an empty space because the shepherd himself would be the door. And we'll talk about that today. But this is a sheepfold. And so uh, let, let's kind of put ourselves into their context and culture to understand it. And Jesus again says, uh, the, you know, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. If you were driving by my house and you saw someone climbing in through my window, you would assume, one, it would be one of my boys. That, would, that could be a good uh, re- issue or a good um, uh, possibility. Or number two, someone's breaking into my house. So sure if it's late at night and Jacob's trying to get back in because we locked him out. You know, somebody's going to call the cops. Well, in this particular case, if you're not going through the door, if you're, you're climbing over the top, you're trying to get in another way, that's not a good thing. Well, instead, it's he who enters by the door, that's the shepherd. That's the shepherd of the sheep. So to him, the gatekeeper opens. Oftentimes, there would be a, a hired gatekeeper who would be the one at the gate to, to make sure the sheep didn't get out or that others didn't get in that they were supposed to. To him, the gatekeeper opens. And then we get into some, some very specific shepherd sheep stuff. The sheep, they hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by what? By name. And he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, that brought out all his sheep, he then goes before them, he leads them, and the sheep do what? They follow him, for they know his voice. Now, something I really appreciate about Jesus is that he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf where we can all get it. This is not very complicated. Shepherding is a, I'm not sure I'd ever want to do it, but it's not real complicated. You've got a shepherd taking care of sheep. And Jesus, it doesn't matter what your degree or your pedigree is. Jesus wants us to see this beautiful simplicity of the teachings of Jesus. So first of all, what Jesus is saying is, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. My peeps know that it is me. I love those videos of, you'll, you'll see a pet maybe, and, and they, just, they recognize the voice of their master or the little kids that recognize the, the voice of their parents. They, they can just hear it, and they just know it. I have a friend who, I, I, I can't imagine this working in my home, but he has five kids as well. And as the kids were born, he developed a very specific whistle, like a, just a real quick whistle, and each kid had their own sound, so he would get their attention. Now, what, what, what got a little confusing to me is he also had one for his wife. I, I can't imagine having a whistle for you to get Amanda's attention from across the room. It, it wouldn't work. But um, these kids, his kids, knew dad was trying to get their attention. They would hear his voice. But then Jesus also says, I know my sheep by name. This is just amazing for me to think about. Jesus knowing all of our names. I can't keep my five kids straight. 
Notice he calls them by name. He's, he's saying something to them. It's not just knowing them, it's also leading them. I lead my sheep and they follow me. He, he leads them out. He goes before them. And the sheep do what? They, they follow. They trust. They obey. You might have to take over in a minute here. This is, our technology's acting up. Again, don't overthink this, okay? It's meant to be a simple, profound truth. Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of his Savior. Go ahead and I'm going to have you take over the slides here. Let me pull over to my other notes uh, real quick, Eric, please. Um, Sometimes we get disconnected from the server, so hang on. I'll be right there. Okay. Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. These sheep know that's my shepherd and they follow. It's really the opposite of my dogs, okay? My dogs, you can have the worst thief, robber, bad person, and my dogs will be, we love you. I mean, sheep didn't, the sheep didn't do that. They knew not to follow anybody but the shepherd. And so in verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus used with them. So, so John's commenting here, the people that Jesus is talking to, he was a figure of speech. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again, okay, let me, let me tell you some more. Truly, truly, pay attention, I say to you, I am the what? I'm the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Who were they not listening to? What he's talking about here are false messiahs. This isn't something that we talk about very often, but in that day, there were a lot of people who would come forward and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm, it meant something to the Jews, and they're like, no, 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 time out. You're not the Messiah. In fact, Jesus is saying, it's a good thing you didn't listen to them. They're thieves. They're robbers. So Jesus says, my sheep do, number four, do not listen to or follow strangers or thieves. If they listen to or follow Jesus... They're not going to follow strangers or thieves. So I ask you today, are there any false messiahs in your life? Strangers or thieves who are influencing you with a different voice than Jesus. How do we know that? Are you finding your identity or purpose from someone else other than Jesus? Who's your hero right now? Who gets your time and attention and maybe even your worship? Who are you following? If it's not Jesus, then it's a false Messiah. Because Jesus says, hey, it's one way or the other. You're listening to my voice or you're listening to their voice. You can't listen to both. You either follow me or you follow them. Again, in verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So if the sheep come in, he's guarding the door, they're safe. And they'll go in and then they'll go out and find pasture. He he's becomes the, the traffic cop that comes in and out. He's taking care of them. What is he worried about? He's, he's warning the thief is coming only to steal and to kill and destroy. 
Jesus says, I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is making two statements here. Number five, he says, I protect my sheep. What does the thief want to do? Kill, steal, destroy them. He says, I'm, I'm the door that will stop that from happening because I know what's best for you. In fact, if we follow Jesus, then the thief is not able to steal, to kill, and destroy our lives. Jesus' way is best. But also, most importantly, I want you to grab, this is a big one, number six, I give my sheep abundant life. He says, I'm in their life so that they have life and have it abundantly. What's another way of saying that? Peace, joy, purpose, direction, meaning. You know, sometimes when we're offered something good, like somebody puts a, something on your plate that you're like, I like that, Let, let's make it a little more abundant, you know? So like if, if you get no-bake cookies, let's have a lot of no-bake cookies or, or a lot of mac and cheese or like, like abundance, abundance. Give me more of the good stuff. What's interesting, though, is the world is offering its way of life, and what it has is abundant, too, but it's a lie. In fact, it's not the abundant life that Jesus is offering. Companies want your money. Politicians want your vote. Some even want your body. Everyone wants your time. They want your influence. If you do it our way, then you'll be happy. You'll find pleasure. You'll find purpose and meaning in life. But in the end, it leads to what the great theologian Bono says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. John is saying, not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. Please, as you, as you hear this this morning, don't hear my voice. Don't, don't even hear John's voice. I want you to listen to Jesus. He says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. My dear little one, he's saying, listen to me. Follow me. Let's go this direction. I'm going to lead you to the kind of life I have for you. Not all that world stuff. I want you to find life with me, a relationship with me. That's where you find true identity and meaning. But my brothers and sisters, why don't we believe that? Why don't we experience that? I confess there are days I just simply don't believe it. Days when I don't experience it. And I know that because too often I'm trying to find my abundant life somewhere else. I do my own thing. I listen to someone else's voice. I find my identity and purpose in someone or something rather than Jesus, my wife, my kids, my stuff, my career, my successes, my failures. And we have to wrestle with, is Jesus enough? Here's my fear. Too often, Jesus is plan B. We run to him only when life doesn't go the way we want it to go. We'll try everything else. It's like, oh, that didn't work. In fact, I was convicted, and I think I shared this a little while back, when it comes to sharing our faith with others, too often it, it's, it, we kind of lean into, oh, we only share our faith when, when that person that we're talking to is, is having a bad time, and we can say, Jesus, uh, Jesus is the answer to your problems, and that's, that's true. 
But guess what? Even if they didn't have any problems, they still need Jesus because he's the Lord and creator. And so it's got to be this response to say, I surrender whether things are going the way I want them to or not. Jesus isn't a plan B. You know, too, too often we just come to him for rescue, which reminds us of that, that relationship, that the, the cycle that was back in the judges. Life is good, so they forget God. And then there's consequences to forgetting God. And then they have to cry out, help me. And then God comes and rescues them. And then life is good again. And then they forget God. And then there's consequences. And they cry out, help me. And there's rescue. And life is good. And they forget God. And it's just this cycle over and over again. I see that cycle in my own life far too much. Why don't we believe that Jesus' way of life is good enough? Abundant enough? It reminds me of Psalm 63 where David cries out, your steadfast love is better than life. Can we say that? Can you say that? I, I, I desperately wish I could say it more often without feeling like I'm lying. Whose voice are we listening to? Now, Jesus takes it to a new level, verse 11. He says, I am the good what? I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, he does a little contrast here. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm telling you what, if you, if you don't own something, you, you just don't have the same kind of feeling towards it. It's kind of like my kids and my tools, okay? I can't tell you how many times I find my tools in places they're not supposed to be. Why? They don't care about it. They don't own it. If you own something, you take care of it. I've been giving Jacob a hard time because he just turned 16, got his license, and, and uh, we got him a little, I call an AB car, get you point A to point B. And it's interesting how particular he is about keeping the car clean rather than the way he keeps my car clean. You know, that's, isn't that a kid thing when you own something? It, it's a hired hand, doesn't care like the shepherd does. Verse 13, um, he, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In contrast, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now watch what he does here. He says, I know my own, I know my sheep, my own know me, my sheep know me. That relationship has a, a precedent, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus is saying, number seven, I care for my sheep enough to die for them. Now, I won't do it and go back. I won't go back and read that list I read to you at the beginning, all those influencers, but I could guarantee that not a single one of them would sacrifice for you or die for you. Now, hopefully, the elders and your family members would sacrifice a little bit along the way, but, but none of those people that we let influence us even know us. What, what are they going to do for us? But what does the good shepherd do? He's willing to lay down his life for us for the sheep that he loves. And that's what we remember and we celebrate every week as we take communion together. And we do it, we're gonna do it next week and we're gonna do it the week after and the month after and the year after and on and on. Because not only is Jesus the good shepherd, in fact, he's the good shepherd because he's the saving shepherd. And why is he a saving good shepherd? 
It's because he's a good son. Look at verse 14 again. I want to just bring your attention back. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's another, uh, Jesus is, is, we're transitioning to the relationship between Jesus and the Father. He says, my Father knows me. Jesus says, we have a close relationship. Our relationship, Father, Son, is an example for Jesus' relationship, Savior to sheep, shepherd to sheep. And I'll argue, we're going to see later on in the book, he's going to say, and that all those relationships will impact your relationship with each other and with the world around you. That's the foundation for all of it. I love this next part. Look at verse 16. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be what? One flock and then what? One shepherd. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. This is where we get to say amen, because not only is Jesus the shepherd to the Jews, he's the shepherd to the Gentiles. And so he's pointing out, guess what? Hey, that sheepfold over there, that's got all those Gentiles in it, they go out to pasture, and we all become one flock. We all become one flock under one shepherd, yea, Jesus. Now look at where this is going, verse 17. For this reason, the Father, what? What's it say there? Loves me. Got to make sure you're with me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So he's saying the Father knows me, but the Father loves me. There's that, that intimacy, that relationship there. Here's how D.A. Carson describes this. It is not that the Father withholds his love until Jesus agrees to give up his life on the cross and rise again. It's not like Jesus is blackmailing, God, the Father's blackmailing Jesus. Like, I'm not going to love you unless you go do that. That's not what he's saying. Rather, the love of the Father for the Son is eternally linked with the, hear, hear this very carefully, the unqualified obedience of the Son to the Father. Jesus just, he obeys the Father. His utter dependence upon him, Jesus the Son, God's Son, is dependent on God the Father. But then it says this, culminating in this greatest act of obedience now just before him. What is that great act of obedience? It's his willingness to bear the shame and the ignominy. The new word, and I had to look it up. Ignominy is public disgrace. So Jesus' act of obedience is his willingness to bear the shame and the public disgrace of Golgotha. <clears throat> the isolation and the rejection of death. The sin and curse reserved for the Lamb of God. God the Son obeyed God the Father. They loved each other. They knew each other. That's a special relationship. That is a model for all of us. Again, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You and I can't say that where no one can take our life from us. Well, they can. Jesus laid his down of his own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to do what? Take it back up again. What's he talking about there? Resurrection. Easter. The charge, this charge, I have received from my Father. Here's a third thing. He says, my Father has a job for me to do. 
The Father's charged me with a mission to do. The Father has sent me. In fact, the Father's love leads to the Son's obedience. And Jesus says, I, in fact, later on he's going to say, I'm sending you like my Father sent me. I'm on mission for the Father. But the people just didn't get this. Look at verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he's got a demon. Like Jesus is demonic and he's insane. He's crazy. Why? What's the word there? Listen to him. A little play on words here. The sheep hear the voice and listen. He's saying the people won't listen to him because he's demonic or insane. But then there's others. Verse 21, it says, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So they're fighting about who Jesus is. That's still what's happening today. All right, we'll speed it up a little bit. Verse 22, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Anyone know another name for the word dedication here? A little trivia for you. It's actually the word Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. It was winter. Guess what today is? It's the first day of Hanukkah. I would like to say I lined it up so the passage just tied in with the Jewish calendar, but I would be completely wrong because I learned that this morning uh, as I was reading something. So it's Hanukkah, a dedication. Uh, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him, and they said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Come on, Jesus. Tell us plainly. If you're, the, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you're the anointed one, tell us plainly. Tell us right now. And Jesus answered, I told you, but you don't believe me. Now notice he says there, you do not believe it wasn't, that's present tense, not past tense. He keeps telling them over and over again, but they won't believe. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So I'm doing all these good works, these, these signs, that should tell you that I am working for the Father. Like that should be enough that you believe me, I'm the Messiah. But why don't you believe me? You don't believe me because you are not among my sheep. I'm not your shepherd. You're not my sheep. And then he repeats himself from an earlier time. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And then he takes it one step further. We haven't heard this yet. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, drop the mic. Let's summarize this in this way. There's um, four, four more quick statements here. Number four, my Father has given me sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you realize that we are a gift from the Father to the Son? Now, uh, don't let, so hear me very carefully on this. This raises all kinds of theological questions. How is God the Father giving gifts of people to God the Son? There, there's a lot in that, okay? But please don't let Western-minded theological debates about Calvinism, Arminianism, election, free will, don't let all that theological discussion, which it's not a bad thing to debate and think through that theological stuff, 
But we should never let that get in the way of seeing the beauty of the relationship between God the Son and God the Father on how God the Father is giving sheep. Here, here's your sheep. Here are your followers. Let, let's, let's protect them together. You know, I've got some particular views on, on election and, and Calvinism and things like that, um, and I'd be happy to debate at any time, but those should never get in the way of understanding that beautiful relationship between the Father and the Son because they together, notice it says, in the hand of Jesus and the hand of the Father. But before we get there, number five, my Father's the greatest. He, it says he's, he's the greatest of all, a greater, greater than all. Well, here's what I'm picturing. Jesus has a bumper sticker on his donkey that says, my daddy can beat up your daddy. Is that, can I say that? Is, that? is that okay to say? I don't know. But Jesus knows that God can take care of the sheep because he's greater than all. He is the greatest. And number six, he, my, Jesus says, my father protects my sheep. No one can take them away. Hear me very carefully on this. As a child of God, no one can take that relationship away. It's so beautiful. Now, to be real clear, um, again, there's a lot of talk about what we call the doctrine of eternal security and things like that. And we're not going to get into all that today, but I want you to, to remember, if you're walking with Jesus, you're, you're just in a secure place, in the Father's hand, and no one can take you out. And if no one can take you out, I've heard it said, well, well, I can jump out. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're secure in, in the, the love and the care of your heavenly shepherd and your heavenly Father. It couldn't be more clear because that final bombshell, number seven, my father and I are what? One. My father and I are one. Let's finish the chapter, and that reinforces this final thought. Verse 31, the Jews, they picked up stones again to stone him. Now you'd think like, oh, he's the, belie- he's the, he's the Messiah. But no, Jesus answered them, time out, wait before you stone me. I have shown you many good works from the Father. Like, I've done all this good stuff. For which of them are you going to stone me? Like, pick one. And the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. Because you, being a man, you make yourself God. Now, Jesus gets a little complicated here. You've got to put on your thinking caps with me here. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law... From Psalm 82, I said you are gods. That's a quote from Psalm 82. I said you are gods, little g. Jesus goes on, if he called them gods, so if if whoever's writing, if God the Father is saying to some kind of people, if, uh, if, if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, the word of God came to them, and Scripture cannot be broken, we believe Scripture can't be broken, then Jesus says, do you say of him, himself, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, if you say to him, well, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Just real quick, let me put Psalm 82, verses 6 and 7 on the board, on the screen. I said, you are God's Son of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, 
Like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Now, we're not going to jump into all Psalms. There's a lot there. But God the Father is either talking to judges or he's talking to angels or he's talking to the nation of Israel. And he's saying uh, if, if they, they're the ones who received the word of God and he's calling them gods, well, then how am I blaspheming if I'm saying that I am the son of God? There's a lot of complex stuff in here, but he, summary, he moves right into a, an easy understanding of it, verse 37. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then, then don't believe me. Like, if, you, if you're not connecting me to the Father, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, even though you don't believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father's in me and I am in the Father. Because we're one. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. One more time. You wonder how he does that. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, well, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many did what? They believed in him there. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to keep asking you do, you, do you believe that he is the good shepherd? Do you believe that he's the good son? Where is your belief meter today? If you believe, are you listening? Are you following? Are you experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has to offer? As we gather at the Lord's table here in just a moment, I want you to hear what um, Cam Bailey emailed me this week. I appreciated his insight on this passage. He says, I find it interesting how Jesus persistently fulfills dual roles in the realm of shepherding and sheep. This passage specifically refers to him as the good shepherd. But he is also always, again from John, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So not only is he the leader and the protector of his flock, he also became the least of his sheep in order to rescue his sheep. So as we gather at the table, we, we celebrate him being the Lamb of God. Now again, one more thing before I invite you up. We're going to close today with an old hymn. In fact, it was written in 1862. Okay? What was going on in 1862, Ed? That wasn't you. were little, little past your time. But uh, what was going on in 1862? Civil War, okay? Fun times? No, pretty dark times, okay? Um, a guy named um, Joseph Gilmore, uh, he was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Philadelphia, and he wrote a song called, He Leadeth Me. Hear these words, no need to put them on the screen, I'm just going to read them for you. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought, Oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. I mean, there's a lot of heavenly comfort in there. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still, till, still t it is God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hand, he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand, he leadeth me. Now listen to verse two. Sometimes, mid scenes, of deepest gloom. Sometimes there's, there's just there's scenes of times of deep, deep darkness and gloom. 
You might be experiencing that today. Sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, these are flowers from the Garden of Eden that are blooming. So, so you, whether it be gloom or, or bloom or, or whether by waters calm or troubled sea, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine. Remember when our, our kids are little and they just hang on to our hand and they just, they won't let go. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine. Nor, now some of you need to hear this, nor ever murmur, nor repine. You know what repine means? It means to fret and be anxious. Because I'm not going to, it says not to complain or to fret or worry. Content whatever lot I see, since tis my God that leadeth me. In the last verse. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even death's cold waves, I would not flee, since thou through Jordan leadeth me. Jordan's always this picture of crossing the Jordan to be with him forever. He leadeth me. It's a powerful hymn, written a long time ago, but the truths back then are still for today. And I find it most interesting. We'll close with this, and we'll, I'll invite you to the table. Here's what, what Gilmore, Pastor Gilmore, said about the hymn's formation. I set out to give the people an exposition of the 23rd Psalm, which I had given before on three or four occasions. But this time, I did not get further than the words, He leadeth me, in verse 2. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And that became the theme of his song. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come and, and take communion today. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made a commitment to say, I, I've committed my life to him, then I invite you to the table and, and come and, and take a, a cracker. This is a picture of his broken body for you. Take a, a cup of juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for you. And, and you can take those on your own today. Uh, we're, we're not going to take them all together. And then we're going to sing this hymn together. So uh, let me pray and I invite you to the table. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for John 10. Thank you for the truth that Jesus is our good shepherd and that he's, our good, he's your good son. And in fact, he's our good shepherd because he's your good son. And that relationship that you have with him is, is passed on to his relationship with us. And Father, um, there are so many voices demanding our attention today. We live in a media age where these little devices in our pocket is just incredible amounts of information. And yet, you still continue to speak through your Holy Spirit through your word, to hear the words of Jesus. And oh, Father, may our people, may our church here at Gateway and, and believers everywhere to, to hear the voice of their shepherd and to respond with obedience and to follow you. Not the voices of those that are, are, are the thieves and the robbers that, that don't have abundant life for us. They want to kill. They want to destroy us. But you want us to live eternal life, abundant life. We have a choice. Father, this week as we celebrate the arrival of our Messiah, God, may it just be a special week, a special time where we can just say thanks and remember what you did and, and may it not be so full of 
all the things of this earth, but the things of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to the table.